Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another Trendsetters podcast episode. Today, I'm joined by Rose Gia, the head of paid media at Amazon Grocery. Alongside Amazon, Rose is the founder of RenaissanceMarketer.com, a concept for the next generation of marketers. Rose, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me this afternoon. Lovely chatting with you as well. So, so the first thing I want to dive into for our listeners here that are all very aware of the Amazon brand and company and likely purchasing quite a few products uh, from Amazon over the past few months, well, really all of 2020, I, I'd love to get a sense of what your day-to-day kind of role looks like and objectives um, and how that's ultimately maybe evolved or changed with uh, COVID. Definitely. So I uh, I run paid media um, awareness and discovery for one of Amazon's fastest growing businesses, Ultra Fast Grocery, and it includes brands like Amazon Fresh and Whole Foods. So essentially, my team and I drive growth for the business unit. So we make sure customers are aware of our grocery services by being on platforms where they are. And we also partner with other brands to extend our exposure. And we drive conversion, of course, trying to get customers to actually place the orders. And COVID has, you know, really accelerated a lot of our strategy and tactics that I have planned for 2020. So my team this year has had to make a ton of pivots to ensure that we're still addressing the customer needs during these trying times. So one example is we had planned this like methodical rollout of customer education for 2020 because online grocery penetration is still less than 10% during pre-COVID times. And so when COVID hit in March, we actually saw people search interest in grocery delivery spike tenfold. So I had to really accelerate my team in building content and having it developed and executed within one month. Mm -hmm. So my day-to-day is, at least nowadays, is very meeting heavy partially because of COVID, but also because um, it's the holiday season and it's, you know, for retail is one of the, the biggest season of the year. So essentially, I start off the morning actually having meetings with my international counterparts, where we typically talk about kind of shifts and trends, any early indicators. Uh, we also do a ton of like learnings exchange And then usually after that, I have meetings either with my team, with my partners or stakeholders, where I typically field questions or help drive uh, decisions so that way we can move things forward. Mm -hmm. And then I also spend some time reviewing metrics that my team owns, but also kind of the broader business metrics to make sure that we're still kind of on track. And then by late afternoon, um, I usually then have a little bit of a breather where I tend to review kind of documents that are kind of produced by other teams where I'm a stakeholder or I'm creating strategy documents of my own. Yeah, that's incredible. And I always love hearing about the day-to-day in particular, especially at a large organization where you're just connecting with so many different individuals, making decisions left and right. And especially one like Amazon, that's certainly you know, a massive company, but also one that tends to move fast in a lot of arenas. So that's incredible to see. And, you know, the grocery space, like you mentioned, seeing that tenfold increase in search, uh, right, following kind of some lockdowns and things of that nature, it's interesting to see and, and that acceleration that we know was almost inevitable, but is now finally coming to uh, fruition. But I guess I'd love to get a sense of where does this evolve into? Um, I, I, I think a, a lot about the fact that in a lot of other categories, uh, e-commerce and getting things shipped to my doorstep um, ha- has been a little bit easier maybe of a transition 
But for whatever reason, grocery, I, I mean, even myself, I will order everything I can on this planet, especially food, especially clothes, especially anything else I need, which outside of like coffee, that's pretty much it. But for groceries, I'm still like dedicated somehow still on wasting an hour and a half in a crowded grocery store and spending a 15% markup because I'm grocery shopping in downtown, uh, in, in a downtown city. So I guess from, from your perspective, where does this evolve into? Yeah. So you, you hit a spot on. So one, I would say the grocery space at least had had made really big technology strides so far just by trying to bring grocery online. A lot of that effort has been really around logistics and inventory management, which doesn't sound very sexy, but can be extremely interesting when you dig deeper into it. I'm going to talk just a little bit about that intricacy. So let, if you take grocery delivery, for example, the fact that you have to, on the website or on mobile, have items show up for you personally that is connected to the inventory of your local store, it has to make sure that that particular item still exists as you're going through the selection process, as you're going through the checkout process. And then after that, if there's like a matchmaking basically a situation where the grocery delivery time slot that you've selected has to be then paired with an associate who's going to fulfill that order for you, like at the right time, not too early, not too late. And then the associate has to go pick the items, bag the items, and make sure that this, this kind of groceries get delivered to you. So all of that are like major moments in this experience, but there's tons of smaller logistical and technical steps that need to be made in between to, to ensure that this is successful. So there's a ton of technology being built around it, but a lot of it is just around this idea of logistics and inventory right now. But I actually think that the reason grocery, at least technology adoption for grocery has been slower compared to other retail categories is exactly what you said, which is customers are not super comfortable yet. If you look at some of the data that we've seen in the US right now, even during COVID times, only 15 to 20% of customer spend on groceries is done online. And that includes right, delivery yeah. and pickup. Yeah, only only 20%, uh, up to 20%, which means that like 80% of customers are still going into stores during COVID. And a part of this is like, if you think about it, it's grocery shopping is a trained behavior over generations. And that behavior doesn't change even in, you know, like a, a decade and, and, and yeah. you know, it's been like 10 years since we've been working on online grocery, but like it's starting to accelerate, but it's still hard to shake that behavior. And I'll give you an example, like a personal example, like my dad loves going to the store and in particular, he loves going to Costco and, and he just loves browsing the aisles, looking at appliances, looking at like grocery items, and he'll end up going home to my mom and bringing back a bunch of things that she never wanted because he just enjoys the act of grocery shopping. And I, on the other hand, are, you know, I live in the city. And so I like the convenience of online grocery. So I don't have to carry it across multiple blocks. And I'll also do some in-store shopping for those like quick top-offs. So everyone has a different kind of behavior when it comes to grocery shopping. And the online piece is still just kind of the beginning. Mm -hmm. But I have to say, I am very excited about what could be. And I, I feel kind of in my bones that 
very soon we're going to be able to think about grocery shopping from a very digital first perspective. So for example, I can imagine, and I've started hearing rumbling. So I know these things were kind of in the works, yeah. but you know, I can imagine that somewhere down the line, there may be some integration with TV. So you're watching a cooking show or you're watching a scripted TV show and somebody's having a dinner and you could instantly put all those groceries for that meal into your cart, right? Or yeah. maybe you use AR and VR and you can digitally walk through your grocery store and do the typical shopping you like to do. Or, you know, in the case, like maybe you'll use Alexa and just tell Alexa that you want some roasted chicken dish for a party of four, but you're like, Alexa, you do it because I don't have, I don't want to figure out how to do the servings. I don't want to figure out the recipe, but like these things could be happening. And I'm very excited for the technology and the innovations that are, that are coming in this space. Yeah, I'm, in, I'm incredibly excited as well. And that's coming from someone that has the worst case of shoppers anxiety on the planet. Because I have, I have three things going through my mind. I have my finance brain, which knows the exact amount of money in my account, my budget, et cetera, at all times that is calculating, always trying to get the most cheap option. I'm still so cheap to this day. I need to, I need to get better at that. Uh, and then I have the, 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 the fitness in me that's calculating macros and servings and protein and carbs and so on. Um, and then I have the marketer in me, which is you know, calculating all the different products. Oh, wait, what did my eyes go to first? Why was that? And which one do I want to go with? Oh, I don't really like that product, but I actually like that brand and the market enemy wants to support that. So I'm incredibly excited for this space because I know the potential disruption that's going to save me way too much time and stress that I spend in a grocery store. Right now, if I have to go just get three things, it's going to take me 30 minutes because I'm going to have to look at everything just to get by. So I, I, I'm incredibly excited about that. And I guess with that in mind, when we think about disruption, especially in maybe the VR, AR arenas, how do you think that that integrates, not necessarily within a timetable, but do you think that's a matter of the technologies getting there first? Is it becoming you know, maybe more, more widespread VR, AR usage? You mentioned logistics, like have that, that having to catch up. I guess, what do you think is holding it back right now? Or is it one of those things that we just need young consumers to get a little bit older, more integrated to, because we might not be able to convince a Gen X mom or dad that's so used to that to be able to go, because for them, maybe that's a communal experience. Um, I know there's a lot to unpack there, but, but what's, your, what's your thoughts in terms of like, what's ultimately gonna drive that, that innovation? I think we all know is inevitably going to happen. Yeah, I'm I'm excited and I and I think as I said before like I I think there's so much opportunity in AR VR but um you hit it right there when you talked about kind of customer behavior like what customer segment is going to be much more comfortable using this type of technology and I think you're right I think it's going to end up being the Gen Zers um and maybe the millennials who leverage this technology to use for their shopping needs. I think there's also going to be some need for kind of the grocery retail themselves to really think about how to leverage this technology. I think AR VR has been used in the consumer space uh, quite a bit. So consumers are quite comfortable with it. And then a lot of that has also been used in some of the business space, but usually to kind of walk through plans and whatnot. I think um, with grocery retailers, there needs to be kind of a reimagining of can you use ARVR for from a B2B sense for helping associates maybe, you know, 
think about going through going through the store and figure out where all the items are located ahead of time or, or or is it more of a consumer pure play so i'm not sure about that piece yet but i do believe that in order for ar vr to be truly adopted i think there needs to be both the uh, consumer side led by the younger generations to use the technology, but also by the retailers themselves to come up with experiences that actually make make ARVR more relevant. Yeah. And you mentioned something earlier regarding that, that retailer side of things uh, about how the logistics of that was so interesting or fascinating to you. Now, I've had probably 50 to 100 podcasts with marketing leaders across the world this year. Not once have I heard a marketer excited about operations or logistics. Typically, that's when they lose interest and they're like, hey, we got to wrap this podcast up. This is getting boring. <laughs> but yourself, you're the founder of Renaissance Marketer, which is all about exactly that and using uh, you know, separate and, and distinct skill sets in the marketing arena. I'd love to, to hear from you. What does it mean to be a, a, a Renaissance Marketer? Yeah. So I always believe that like in order for you to be innovative and, and I feel like right now innovation is like such a buzzword, but in order for you as a person to be innovative, you have to be able to think outside the traditional box. And in order to do that, you have to be well-versed in so many other disciplines so you can pull ideas from one to the other. So for me, as a marketer, I got really excited about operations because I saw the underlying kind of design, kind of the, the beautiful design behind logistics. If you think about it, it's like there's so many pieces that have to move at exactly the right pace. And in order to scale out that type of operation, you have to build all of this technology, all of this capabilities. There's a human factor. And a lot of that, if you think about it from a marketing standpoint, is like those are all these different connections that you're you're trying to create. It's an experience, essentially, that you're you're creating just like you would if you were to design an event itself, right? So, mm -hmm. so that that's kind of how I see it. But when it comes to, you know, Renaissance Marketer, I created this idea because I truly believe that innovation is brought about by creativity. And marketers are inherently creative people, but there mm -hmm. are different types of marketers. And, and just to step back, like the way I think about marketers is probably not a very traditional type. It's not just an advertising person. I think about marketers as like the central link between a customer and the business. So marketers mm -hmm. understand what the customer wants and what they need, but they also understand what the business can actually deliver against those uh, wants and needs. So in order for that to happen, the marketer actually has to understand the customer, but also the landscape in which the customer exists in, has to understand the business, but also the kind of the most important business metrics, which typically are tied to things like revenues or bottom line profits, right? So like the marketer kind of has to know all of these things. And one of the things, uh, the one quote that I absolutely love is by this professor named Robert Root Bernstein where he talks about like creative people, the way that he describes creative individuals is that they have an ability to discover connections between apparently unrelated domains of activity. So the artist and the scientist, the sculptor and the mathematician and the musician and the programmer. And if you think about all of that combined together, like it's literally talking about what we would have called a Renaissance person, someone who's yeah. skilled in, in multiple things. And I think particularly for marketers, especially this next generation, is a lot of the innovation will have to come from 
pulling together different things. You can no longer be a marketer who who only knows how to do advertising or who only knows how to do digital. Like you have to be able to connect all of these disparate dots. And I think in order for this to happen, two things must uh, occur. One is we have to identify examples of really great Renaissance marketers so people can see what a Renaissance marketer should be. But two, we need to have actual marketing leadership adopt this concept so they can give permission to their employees to actually be this type of marketer. And so the creation of renaissancemarketer.com is really meant to evangelize this concept, create resources and tools for both aspiring marketers, but also marketing leaders to really adopt and leverage this type of concept. So that way we can actually have a true kind of new generation of marketers that we call a renaissance marketer. And essentially down the line, my hope, fingers crossed, is you know when people talk about the conventional marketer, they're going to be talking about the renaissance marketer. I, I couldn't agree more. And that's something that I can certainly align with. Something that I'm always pushing internally with, with us, with agency partners, with brand partners, um, and so on, uh, especially in the creative realm. One of, one of my favorite quotes in that arena is, is, is around, I only write when inspiration strikes. Fortunately, it strikes every single morning at 9 a.m. And, uh, you know, similarly, Peter Drucker talks about how creativity is ultimately just consistency. And that's the only variable of success there. And I think there, there's a lot of great characters and role models uh, for what I would consider rent, like that, that renaissance type individual, especially in the marketing realm. I know for myself, like everything Leonardo da Vinci, everything about Leonardo da Vinci, I could study for, for, for days on end. But for yourself... Are there any individuals, maybe existing CMOs that are part of your Renaissance marketer crew um, or, uh, you know, other individuals out there? Are there any role models that you look up to that define that? Because, you know, one of the inherent problems I think I see in the marketing realm uh, with especially younger marketers is I ask kind of who they're looking up to. And it's either your, your big advertising buffs, your David Ogilvy's and so on. Or it's your just badass entrepreneur people, which isn't to say we shouldn't look up to Elon Musk, Gary Vee, Jeff Bezos, but how realistic is it that we in marketing are becoming that, you know, maybe not. So for you, are, are there any good inspiring characters uh, or role models for, for you uh, when it comes to becoming and being a renaissance marketer? Yeah, I would actually argue the fact that entrepreneurs are actually great role models for marketers because I think part of the part of the concept I'm trying to change is and shift is it's okay for CEOs to be multidisciplined and they're actually trained throughout their career to be multidisciplined like they have to work in marketing, sales, operations, finance because they need to be round, well-rounded when they get to the CEO spot. And mm-hmm. entrepreneurs have to do the same. And I think it's actually a miss that we don't think the other C-suites and the other functions should have a similar backing. I actually think that everybody in the executive suite, everybody in leadership should actually be built like a C- CEO or like an entrepreneur that has this type of background. So I actually think that like marketers shouldn't feel like they can't see an Elon Musk or like a Jeff Bezos as like a potential marketer. But I would say the, the probably the the one that most marketers will always gravitate towards, who is actually who was um, a CEO, was the late Steve Jobs. He was literally the like the best salesman out there. 
He was also the best creative person. He, he had like really good vision in terms of like how he thought about creative design, how he thought about marketing. And of course, he was also an engineer. So like he was that quintessential Renaissance marketer. Um, but at the same time, even though he was a CEO, he also very much understood the power of marketing. Like he knew, I think innately, the need for marketing to be that connection point between customer and business. And he he had no qualms about like, that is where his head was at. And I think for kind of the the marketers of today, we should be, we should actually be looking at uh, the likes of Steve Jobs to really think about in our in our current marketing purview, how do we employ kind of the thinking of an entrepreneur, the thinking of a CEO, the thinking of a CFO or COO, and how do we apply that into what we're doing to ensure that everything connects back? So one of the things that I always um, advise um, every time I talk to any marketer especially marketing marketers who run kind of paid media. The first thing I tell them is stop thinking about paid media as a budget because a budget implies it is just spending. It's just money out the door and finance will always call it a budget because for them on their PNL, it's a cost, it's a, it's a cost center. It's just money out the door. But what you should really think about the budget, the spend, is you should think about it from an investment standpoint. Because what you're doing is you're growing the business by spending money that should bring you back a return on investment. And so you should treat everything like you're a VC or you're an entrepreneur and say, for every dollar I'm spending on this platform, on this advertising campaign, on this you know, marketing technology, or even on this research, what is the return I'm going to get back? And what is the both the short-term, but also the long-term kind of expectation? And once you kind of flip the script on that, you become a growth driver. Like you're no longer like a budget owner, but you're an actual growth driver. So that's kind of how I want and hope that marketers can really reshape how they think about their roles. Yeah, yeah. And I love your take on the, you know, CEO can, can be an incredible role model as well, because I think that that totally holds true. And I think, it, you know, even like Jeff in particular, like is you can't argue with Amazon's consumer centric approach. And that's that's the reason why it is where it is today. And, and for yourself in your career evolution, you, you transform from finance manager to marketer and now lead paid media efforts at one of the largest brands in the world, arguably the most consumer centric brand in the entire world. What what throughout that process, which I know is quite a difficult process, what gave you the confidence or what gave you the rationale to, to swiftly kind of shift over? And I'll preface it with the fact that, you know, something that, that, that I despise within the marketing arena is this, you know, sit on our high horse or in our ivory tower of like, you don't understand, like, you don't understand the creativity and the marketing and this, that, and the other which I've always found to, to, to frankly be false, especially with younger consumers who I think now understand marketing than, than even some of the best advertising buffs in history, right? Absolutely. So, so what gave you the confidence and rationale throughout that, that transition? So 
you know, looking back now, I can tell you I had a very clear goal and vision of where I was going. I was always going to be driving growth. So in investment banking, I was driving growth for like mergers and acquisitions and finance. I was driving growth through, you know, things like financial planning and the marketing. I'm driving growth through all of the campaigns and the acquisition and product development, et cetera. But to be completely honest, when I was actually in the process of like moving from career to career, I was... I wasn't actually very clear what was driving me except for the fact that I saw I I wanted to take on like the most challenging, hairiest kind of like the 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 most like crazy set of challenges that were out there and I wanted to come up with innovative solutions. I just kept looking at situations and saying wow, that looks like there's a customer need or there's a customer want that hasn't been addressed. And all of these solutions I've seen doesn't really make sense. And and I just want to come up with like, like a different type of way of looking at it. And so everywhere and every role that I took was giving me that opportunity to do that. But I have to say, like when I was going through the process, I did feel, especially when I uh, moved from being like a very successful like finance person to kind of starting marketing as a career kind of midway through, I did feel like I was out of place because like Jake, as you said, there are so many marketers out there that are like, you don't understand, you, you can understand marketing. Like you didn't grow up in the marketing world or you're not from the agency background or you didn't, you know, study this for like 50 years. And so for a while, I was kind of that weird, like odd duck that kept asking questions like, why wouldn't we connect marketing activities to business revenues? Like, why wouldn't we build our own relational databases to do our own communications? Like, I was always asking these questions and I was always getting these like weird, like, you're a marketer. Why, why are you asking that, that, that question? That's like not in your purview. But as I was going through this, I was very lucky in two things. One, I was extremely, I was just driven by curiosity. Like even when people told me no, I still just wanted to know. And so I would find my own way of even in my roles to, you know, like I was a marketer and I saw that we should be building a, like a new advertising unit. And I basically pulled aside a few, a few engineers and a data guy. And I was like, Hey, I have this idea. You want to just build it with me? <laughs> and like, we'll see how it goes. Ends up being great. But like, I was just like driven by curiosity. But the other side was I had really great mentors and they were the ones who really, you know, when I was feeling like maybe I should exit and go back to finance, they told me like, actually Rose, the the things that make you different, the fact that you don't fit into this marketing box is what's going to drive your career in the future. Because everything that could be thought of as a traditional marketer has been thought of. And so the only way for the function to move and for the industries and the companies to kind of move forward is to think outside the box. And so I was lucky to kind of have people in my life that told me and and encouraged me to continue to walk down this path. And now I'm extremely happy uh, with this career. I love marketing and I love the fact that now I can pull in all the things I've learned in the past from history to finance to, you know, things that I read. I can pull it all into marketing and also be able to see things like come to fruition through the campaigns themselves. I think that's like super awesome. 
That's incredible. I love that story and, and, and background and that you kind of persevered throughout it. And uh, I think that's something we, we need more of in marketing is more diverse philosophies, even um, not just diverse backgrounds and skill sets, but even like, how do you see business as at, at large? So I, I think that. that's incredible. And, and I think my, my final thing is for our listeners here, where can they go learn more maybe about Renaissance Marketer? I, I, I know you have a website there. Um, and you know where, where can we plug them into some of Amazon's grocery options so they can avoid spending you know, maybe five hours in the grocery store like me this entire week. <laughs> I love that. So for for the Renaissance marketing piece, please check out renaissancemarketer.com. I, there's a lot of like resources and tools up there. Um, and we're always looking for more help to kind of evangelize this idea. And then of course, for grocery options, please definitely check out amazon.com slash fresh or slash whole foods, um, depending on which brand you like. And really experience online grocery. You guys can do delivery or pickup in store or curbside. So lots of options. Please check them out. Yeah. So for all of you that just spent $200 on Chipotle this week, that's who we're calling out right now. Uh, go check it out. Rose, thanks so much for joining. It was truly a pleasure having you on. Thank you, Jake, for having me. I had such a blast. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Be sure to share this to all of your stories, which are on way too many social media channels nowadays. And I'll see you all next week.